0: (laughs) Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 79th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pantak, alongside my friend, Adam Guffin. Adam, how are we doing today?
0: Footy, Zach. We're still in the bottom three. Footy.
1: We are still in the bottom three. Norwich, Norwich got beat today, though. That was good. That's a, a step in the right direction. It, do you do you ever feel like? I mean, it's been this way for so long because Newcastle, besides one season at the beginning of the twenty ten decade, um, we've consistently been in a relegation fight almost every year. Do you do you feel like a sense of shame when you have to like be constantly hoping and praying that other teams? do poorly. Like, I feel like it is such a deflating feeling to be looking at a team like Norwich or a team like Burnley or a team like Watford and be like, all right, we really need them to drop points every single week, you know? You know what
0: I'm saying? I don't know that I feel shame. I think I've kind of grown numb to it over the the past decade. Um, I I think if I put too much stock in it and I think about it too much, then it's going to make me super depressed. So I kind of try and watch Newcastle see them play terrible get on with my weekend and go from there
1: yeah that is a fair way of going about it um but yeah i mean bottom three we're up to 19th purely on goal differential uh i guess we have a game in hand on Norwich, although burnley has a game in hand on us um yeah not not a great time to be a newcastle fan as i've said for 79 episodes of this podcast
0: <laughs> yeah I feel like that's a theme. but a theme of our podcast for the last few years but yeah no i totally i totally agree with you it's well at least we had a victory against burnley finally since we last recorded um our first victory of the season it took 15 yes. games to come so that was um, a positive step in the right direction um i'd actually forgotten what that felt like um I pointed out to the folks at the Celtic who I was watching with, with the mile high magpies that I have more, I had more recently seen Wales win a game in the European championships than I had seen Newcastle win a game in the Premier league when that Burnley win.
1: Mm. that. Yeah, that, that absolutely checks out. That's wild. You have more recent that, that would be a fun game to play. I guess we can't play it now that they've won a game, but like what a list of things that you've done or seen more recently than Newcastle's money. You have been to Wales more recently than Newcastle had last won a game.
0: That's right. Yeah. Uh, and we've got the horrible fixture list coming up for, for December. So it may be sometime before we win another one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but we will we will have a, a nice structured little session later in the podcast where we, where we kind of go into our, our feelings and emotions tied to Newcastle United. But before we do that, uh, a little, uh, a few, a few little nice add-ons for today. We'll be going into our typical, uh, two talking points a person as it pertains to the Premier League. Um, and after that doing, uh, as I just mentioned, a little, little session on Newcastle United, um, After our first commercial break before armchair pundits, we're actually going to get a championship update on the EFL championship from a a local uh, championship aficionado, a good friend of mine, Noah Byrne, who is a lifelong Bristol City fan. So he lives and dies by championship football. Uh, and he will be providing us with, uh, not only an update on what's going on in the championship, but some, uh, this it's kind of apropos this is coming right before armchair pundits because he is going to be giving some strong opinions that he has uh that have to do with the championship as it relates to the english Premier league uh so that'll be a fun one and then as always we'll end it with armchair pundits and 10 in 90 uh before we get into all of that adam epl trivia what do we have today
0: I have a really good one for you today, Zach. I think you're going to like this, but I don't think you're going to get the answer right. So um, okay. I think you'll, you'll enjoy the question, though. So here we go, listeners. EPL trivia. Who is the only player to have scored a hat trick in the Premier League, all three divisions of the English Football League, the League Cup, the FA Cup, and for his country in an international match? That is... What? in the world there is a single player there is not more than one player who has all those accolades i'll say them one more time the only player to have scored a hat-trick in the premier league all three divisions of the english football league the league cup the fa cup and for his country in an international match a hat-trick in all of those scenarios
1: that's that's remarkable that is a very cool question um all right, I like this. I like this a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruminate over that as we as we go along uh, to the to the first trivia before our our first commercial break. But yeah, wow, that is a really cool fact. I'm like, how did you find that? It's
0: a claim to fame. I I will not give up my sources. Then.
1: Okay, that that's oh, as any as any good media man would. Uh, all right, cool, 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 cool. So, Premier League football, we are. 17 matches or 16 matches or 15 matches or in Tottenham Hotspur's case 14 <laughs> matches into the Premier League season it's been a a bit of a a staggered crawl uh, especially with um with the issues with COVID that are starting to resurface in in the Premier League and pretty much all over not just the world but the world of sports I, I think almost every sport has had a a game or two canceled or postponed because of uh, recent covid outbreaks and the premier league is is no different but yeah we are just just we're getting very close to halfway through the premier league season uh we have four matches coming up in the next two weeks before the end of the year an exciting time to be a football fan uh and so with that adam what is what is an epl related issue problem solution story or question that you want to dig into
0: i want to talk about aston villa under steven gerrard Um, i'll start with um, an appointment that many people looked at as he's unproven Uh, he's done a decent job at rangers but again with the right backing who couldn't win the scottish premier league um fantastic performances um, to beat Celtic and to knock them off their perch. But again, with the right backing, I just feel like that's very possible. So he comes into Aston Villa. Expectations are, I would say, moderate. I wouldn't say high for Steven Gerrard. I think he they're expecting him to do better than Dean Smith did. Um, and to bring the team up back into the top half of the table, I think would be realistic expectations for Aston Villa this season. And Gerrard has come in, and he has gotten himself 12 points from 18. It's four wins from six. He's got wins against Brighton, Palace, Leicester, who thumped us over the weekend, and Norwich. And the only two losses he's had were a 2-1 home defeat to Manchester City and a 1-0 way defeat at Liverpool. And that was a very tight game. Liverpool certainly could have dropped points in that one. The other thing I want to highlight as something I've seen under Steven Gerrard is in the six games that he has managed since he took over... Aston Villa have conceded 5 goals. That's 5 goals. And in the matches prior to that in the 11 games they prior to that they conceded 20 goals. So I want to talk about the impact that Aston Villa have seen under the leadership of Steven Gerrard and I would love to hear your take on what you think has changed for that club over the course of the last month or so.
1: Yeah, that those are those are all really fantastic points uh, i think that the defensive stability that he has implemented has has been the biggest part of that right aston villa is a team that uh does not score a, a ton of goals um 23 and 17 matches this season so um i i suppose a, a respectable number there. the highest uh of any team ninth or below in the premier league uh but as you were saying you know shipping about two goals a game before Uh, Gerrard took over that was a big issue Tyrone Mings we were seeing a lot of kind of regression uh it appeared from him uh you know the the defensive fragility was I probably the reason that Dean Smith ultimately got ousted uh and I think what's most impressive there is that that like there's no reason to assume that Steven Gerrard would be the man to fix you know a leaky back line both because of uh his his you know somewhat unproven track record and then also because of the fact that when you think of Stephen Jared, you don't think of a back four. You know, you think of you think of midfield prowess. You think of possession style football. You think of you know a really uh, fluent passing team, uh, largely because of you know that's what he was as a player. But I think that you know for a team like Aston Villa that is looking to hopefully go i I would expect their their board to be saying okay we want to you know maybe make a quarterfinal of a a cup or we want to be competing for a cup and obviously we want to be comfortably in the premier league with the last five six matches to go um very on on a very successful route right now and um a lot of questions rang out with how how they were going to replace jack grealish and uh i i would i would still say that you know the the trio of uh Leon Bailey, uh Danny Ings, and um was the third player they bought with the Jack Grealish money. Um, oh, and uh, uh uh Emiliano Buendia. Um yes. I would still say that those three players have not necessarily had lived up to the impact that Grealish had on that team, but um they're doing what they need to be doing to, to be stable and and probably to be financially stable as well. So all credit to to Gerard and, and the, uh, kind of the, the backroom staff there.
0: Yeah. I think you've raised some great points in there. One of the things that I certainly wanted to touch on was the performances of Tyrone Mings recently. Uh, I had a chance to watch that entire game with Liverpool versus Aston Villa and Tyrone Mings. Yes. He gave away a penalty in that game and it was a poor foul outside of that. I didn't think he put a foot wrong. He was throwing himself in front of balls blocking shots, um, charging players down, bringing them down Um, really, really good quality defensive football from Tyrone Mings. And he's wearing the captain's armband as well. Now I thought that, you know, we're seeing some leadership qualities from him on the field. Um, He's alongside Kansa. And I think that's actually looking like a really good central defensive partnership there as well. Kansa came up with a couple of goals um, in a previous game in that 2-1 win against Leicester that they had and I just think that they finally kind of seem to have figured out that central defensive partnership. They're looking harder to break down, harder to beat, more compact. And again, I think you you raised another great point. Is I wasn't necessarily expecting this from a Steven Gerrard team, but it seems to be um, seems to be a a trademark of what Aston Villa will look like under him. You also mentioned Danny Ings, who is a player that is not starting now, who is coming off the bench in favor of Ollie Watkins starting for Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins has scored three goals in five games. Um, the other two players I wanted to highlight that I think have improved since Jared came in would be Jacob Ramsey, 20 year old winger. I think he's been looking fantastic because chipped in with a couple of goals as well. And then McGinney Esther, I thought has been floundering for about a season now. And I think he's finally coming back to his, his best as well. So good news for Gus and Scotland and um, their upcoming <laughs> fixtures um i'm i'm really excited to see what jared can do with this team because there's clearly plenty of talent there um and i just don't think dean smith was necessarily the right man to bring the most out of it
1: yeah and it was almost with dean smith it almost felt like they kind of needed to change at the managerial helm just because of like how much Dean Smith was tied to Grealish, and and that's not like that's not a slight on him. I don't think it was necessarily the case where you know without Jack Grealish, Dean Smith was unable to field a cohesive team. But it it was almost like you know Jack Jack Grealish leaving Aston Villa was very emblematic of a new chapter in the club's history, in the same way that you know. I don't know, Alan Shearer retiring marked a a very definite new chapter in Newcastle's history. And that's not to say that, like, Jack Grealish can be put even in any same conversation as Alan Shearer. But it almost is like, in my mind, that you, you kind of need a fresh set of eyes to look at a team without such a central part and with such a new you know, a new set of players to be able to then start from scratch, essentially, um, or I guess maybe not start from scratch, but start from a very different place than you were with a player like Grealish, where everything was going through him and, and kind of all the game plans had to be based around him because he was clearly the best player on on your lineup. Uh, and so I think the Gerard appointment was really at the perfect time. And um, I think that it, it wasn't a coincidence that Dean Smith, Villa was actually coming to an into an all right run of form. I believe they won their last game before Dean Smith was fired. But I think that decision was probably made fairly a, a decent amount of time before the actual firing. Um, that if if they weren't going to be in a good run of form, they needed to to make a change and make a change quickly.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the same could be said for Daniel Farca when he was fired from Norwich. Like they won that game right before that happened, so it was it was a long time coming. I I, w- I would hazard a guess that they probably had had conversations with Gerard before that that move was made to to get rid of Dean Smith. So I don't rate him to be honest. Um, I think that's put the final nail in the coffin for me on Norwich's season. Although their performance has slightly improved than it did under Farca. I, I just I can't see them staying up. So um uh, I I think Dean Smith is the problem, not necessarily the Villa Squad and players are.
1: Yeah, that that's that's certainly fair. Um interestingly enough, if we're talking about people who have not necessarily been in a good run of fortune since leaving Aston Villa, Jack Relish has has not, you know, made the impact that a a hundred million pounds is typically supposed to to buy you. I I don't think it's, you know, near time to write him off, but no. uh Escort, man, he did score today. Manchester City is flying uh and Grealish has not played a huge part in that, although it is tough to break into that team, especially when they're in such a good run of form. I mean, everybody on that team is 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 a world-class player. So can't really can't really fault him in his first season. But yep. yeah, interesting points about Villa without a doubt.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So um I've got two quick things I wanted to touch on here. The first one is regards Watford. Um Again, we have a second manager of the season for Watford in Claudio Ranieri. I wanted to highlight his performances, um, contrasting to Steven Gerrard's, since he's come in and taken over at Watford. He has played nine games, or he has managed, I should say, nine games since coming in as Watford manager. His record in those games: Zach one, two, draw none, and lost seven. Um, if you're a Watford board member or chairman <laughs> who is quick on the trigger of firing. Uh, my question, very simply, for you is: With that sort of form, does Renieri really last the season?
1: I, I, I think it, a safer guess is no than it is yes, right? And I, I think you you mentioned the key point there, which is Watford's history to to be pulling triggers as quickly as as the downturn of form will will allow you to. What was it two seasons ago where they went through four managers in a Premier League season? I believe. That's right. um, yeah, I mean that's like that's astounding. That's you know that's less than ten matches per manager, uh, and so if the leash is that short and you have lost seven of nine, you're 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 getting close to that ten match mark. Uh, I think that he might be given a bit more time based on his his Premier League pedigree, but uh, it is tough to look at that at that Watford team and see a lot of a lot of positives at the moment. You know, one win in their last five uh, 31 goals allowed on the season, which is third worst in the premier league. Uh, and only, only 21 goals scored, which is, uh, I, I guess somewhat respectable in, in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, surprisingly enough, a leakier defense than, uh, a, uh, kind of a decrepit offense. Uh, but yeah, the ability to even get those, like those, those scrappy points from a draw Watford, only has one draw on the season. Uh, and I think that's a, like kind of an understated part of a relegation battle is being able to just get draws away from home. When you're in the bottom three, bottom four, you're not expecting really to win away from home pretty much ever. And so getting those draws and playing for those draws is quite important. And Watford clearly has been able unable to do that. Um, so yeah, it would not surprise me, honestly, if if Watford doesn't win any of their next three matches, it wouldn't surprise me if he's gone by the new year.
0: Yep, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, And then my final question on Watford, are they realistically the only team that the current bottom three can catch? Burnley, Mm. Newcastle, Norwich, are there any other teams outside of Watford that you think might get pulled into this relegation battle? That's
1: a great question. So looking at the table, the the club right above them is Leeds. I don't think Leeds will, I think they might be in a relegation scrap, but I don't think they would be in it the entire season i think just like there, there are clearly issues in that team specifically at the defensive end and that's what marcelo bielsa has always sacrificed for his kind of swashbuckling style um but i think there's too much individual quality on leads for them to to be dragged into that i think southampton definitely is a team that is in danger uh winless in their last five uh just showing Really, really nothing going forward. I I think unfortunately, Newcastle ex-Newcastle man Adam Armstrong is just not cutting the the grade right now uh, for Southampton. And you know, Che Adams can can chip in with a goal every now and then. But um, I think that that is a team in in quite a lot of trouble. They they offered nothing on the weekend against Arsenal. So uh, I'd say Southampton would be the team that I would most worry about uh, getting dragged into a relegation fight.
0: Yeah, I, I put Southampton and Brighton as the two teams who I think that are not certainly. Brighton is for... falling fast. Yeah, started the season fantastically and then are doing Brighton things right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think yep. they I think it's now eight without a win for Brighton, if I'm not mistaken. Uh mm-hmm. yeah, they are they're going they're offering so little going forward. Uh and then maybe Everton. Uh, seriously, like I, we talked about this in our last episode. Um, but Everton got that that really dramatic win on the weekend against uh, Arsenal. But besides that, they they've looked they've looked awful, um, just yep. really really poor, uh, offering essentially no kind of cohesiveness. And uh, I think that who knows, crazier things have happened, right?
0: Yep, absolutely. All right. So my, my last point I want to touch on here. Um, it's a little bit of a walk on topic, so sorry for springing this one on you. It's P. R. M. Aubameyang. Um, He's been in the Mm. news a lot this week. Um, First and foremost, he was left out of the squad on um, Saturday against Southampton for essentially not getting back to the club soon enough after taking a trip and not being back to train and to, um, to get into the team for Saturday's game and win against Southampton. So when asked about it in the press, um, Arteta kind of shut it down very quickly and was like, we'll deal with that internally. Um, And then they came out today and said that Aubameyang not only would not be in the squad for tomorrow's game against West Ham, which is a really crucial game in terms of the teams at the top there, um, but also he was being stripped of the Arsenal captaincy as a result of his... Behavior and it's not the first time this has happened either. There's been an instance of him returning late from a trip previously. What do we make of this? Is this the end of Obama young at Arsenal?
1: A year after signing a massive contract exactly. extension, that that Arsenal tried to get over the line for a better part of eighteen months. I mean, it. it I don't know if I'd necessarily think that it you know we're we're there yet but it's it's trending in certainly the wrong direction. I will say I do give credit to Mikel Arteta for pulling that trigger. I I think that a lot of managers would not really have the gall to make to to make that call um and a, especially a young manager and a manager who has been in the spotlight, you know, very cru- very heavily uh kind of examined for his entire time at Arsenal. I I think that it is a a brave move for him to make that call. And I do think though that like, I I think that those two decisions go hand in hand. If you're going to strip him of his captaincy, you have to drop him from the team because it is for disciplinary reasons, right? Like I think you have to essentially make an example out of him and make him want to work his way back into the team. Uh, On the other side, it it will be an interesting thing to watch of like how much motivation does Pierre America have to be playing first team football right now like really he he is coming to the kind of the latter part of his career north of 30 years old and i i i wonder you know is he in it for the bag or is he in it for you know playing regular football because if it's the former then you're in a really really difficult position where um <laughs> much like gareth bale he'll be at a club that he doesn't really care for but he'll be making a considerable amount of money And you don't really have the ability to shop him because of the wages that you've put him on. So Arsenal have put themselves in a kind of a tricky situation with Aubameyang. But I would like to see, you know, as a neutral, I would love to see Arteta try to get him back into the team and into a good run of form. Because when when Aubameyang is, you know, on a good run of form, he is an electric player to watch. You know, not not necessarily having the pace that he had earlier in his career with Dortmund, but really a, a thrilling player to to have on the pitch and uh, it would be it would be exciting to watch this immensely young Arsenal team with uh, a veteran leader like that um, if he can kind of get his head right.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I would finish with two words for you, Zach, Mateo Genduzzi. This is not the first time that Mikel Arteta has frozen out a player from a club, mm. um, and it remains to be seen if that's just, he'll he'll take it that far with Aubameyang, given he is the club captain. But you know, this is not the first time that. Arteta has made a hard stand like this and has put his foot down. You don't see it a lot from other players, or if you do, it's a lot more behind closed doors and a lot more guarded and a lot less direct than a club statement, stripping somebody of a captaincy. This is, this is almost unheard of territory for an English Premier League manager to do something like this. I can't remember. Can you remember a time where another manager has done this in in your memory?
1: no no you're right not not at this public of a level that that is a good point
0: so remains to be seen what happens but we'll be watching with eager eyes hey does he want a loan move to newcastle in january because i take him in a heartbeat
1: (laughs) yes absolutely get get him get him to to a team much more stable than arsenal right now
0: yeah we'll give him no service like we give wilson
1: exactly exactly make him make him do it all himself uh Cool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of good things to keep tabs on, especially with the congested fixture list in the next couple of weeks. And we'll, we'll see if by the next time we talk at him, if, if PR and Rick Aubameyang is, is back, uh, back in the Arsenal team or if he's on his way to a new club in January.
0: Yep. Should be fascinating to watch. All right, sir. What do you got for me?
1: Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep it in North London for my first point. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur quietly on the ascendancy in the english premier league i i think that most most fans of the Premier league are are fairly distraught at not necessarily having you know the uh the 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 tottenham to point and laugh at that that we did earlier in the year but uh since antonio conte took over it's it's four games unbeaten for tottenham hotspur including three consecutive victories going into their next match um it's been impressive. It's been really impressive to me, Adam, the the way that Conte has come in and really stabilized that team at, at such a immediate uh in, in such an immediate way. I mean, you, you have a team that uh, so far in 14 matches this season, uh, 17 goals allowed, which is the best defense. Excuse me, the third best defense outside the top three, and you have a team that is only now. Three points off fourth with two less games played than West Ham. So, in theory, if Tottenham wins the two games that they have in their pocket right now, they will be in a Champions League position and they would only uh they, they would be north of West Ham by three points, and they would be only five points back of Chelsea in third. Uh still not a lot of goals coming out of Tottenham. Uh, they did get three on the weekend. Um, However, before that, just two, one, and then zero in in Conte's first game. But I think what's impressed me the most is that the goals they are getting are coming from all over the pitch. And more importantly, they aren't coming from Harry Kane. Harry Kane still only on one goal this season. uh, And despite that, Tottenham able to kind of grit and get over the line in these matches, Uh, a wonder goal from Lucas Moore in particular in their last game. Uh, but yeah, hats off to, to Conte. He is really turning that team around in a very quick and uh, impressive manner.
0: Yeah. I've, I've noticed a couple of things. You, you raise a lot of great points there that I've been watching Tottenham now last couple of games and they're playing this three, four, two, one diamond formation. Um, it's really fascinating to watch. To your point, you've got Kane kind of up there as a lone striker and you've got Moura and Son in behind Um, And he seems to have really landed on the players that he sees can take this club forward, some of them quite surprising to me. um, Ben Davis, um, Welsh international, has not been a consistent starter at Tottenham over the course of the last few seasons. Um, He seems to be on Antonio Conte's good list, putting in some great performances there. While other players like Joe Roden, another Welsh international, are getting frozen out. Another player getting frozen out, which was fascinating to me, and somebody who I've heard might be up for transfer or a loan in January, is Stephen Bergwine, um, a player that has you mm. know, made a marked impact since, for signing, for, since signing for the club um what was it about us about a season ago because i think he came in in the in the january transfer window so amazing to see him frozen out for me because i do think that he has a lot that he could potentially offer for the team but conte does that he comes in and he picks his kind of favorite players and he relies heavily on them i'm glad you brought up harry kane because i was going to bring it up to still can't score in the premier league but they're still picking up victories you selectively also mm-hmm. f- forgot to mention the Europa Conference League, in which Spurs are about <laughs> to get knocked, knocked out of it um, after, you know, really probably on paper being one of the favorites to win the entire thing. So, but I digress. I mean, how, how seriously are they realistically taking that? I don't know. Um, but certainly impressive since he has come in. They are looking solid defensively and they are looking like they're starting to become more of a free-scoring team around the entire pitch, not necessarily relying on those King goals.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think the, the, the man management of Conte is, is one of his trademarks, right? Like he is this, this manager kind of similar to, to Jose Mourinho, who, who lives and dies by his starting 11. So different uh, than a manager like that, like Klopp or like Guardiola that, that is constantly rotating the squad and and constantly getting new players in and out. Maybe, maybe less so Klopp, but I mean, Guardiola is, is yeah. truly the poster child for team rotation. Uh, and you you could make the argument at Tottenham, you have a bit less of an ability to do that because you don't have the, the quality all over the pitch like Manchester City. But nonetheless, as you said, Bergwijn, a player that I've almost forgotten plays for Tottenham, despite, you know, how impactful he was in his first season, and yeah, I mean it's it's a team that is finally finding an identity, and I think that's something they didn't have at any point under Mourinho. They didn't have really at all under the brief uh, uh, Nunes Peres Santo uh, period. But you know, there's a reason that they pulled the trigger on on Conte and tried to kind of get him before Manchester United could could pull the trigger on their own manager. And you're already seeing dividends there. They're only two points back of Manchester United. With two games in in hand, so uh, yeah, res- results speak louder than anything else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, credit where it's due. He's a world class manager. The Spurs are very lucky to have him.
1: Yeah, he absolutely is. Also, one thing to note that I'm looking at looking at the Premier League table. I wonder when the last time was that this deep into the season. Uh, so we're 15, 16 games in for again for Tottenham, Taun- 14 games in that the team in sixth and seventh in the Premier League, both with a negative goal differential. That's pretty unbelievable that you can be that close to European football having given up more goals than you've scored.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great great point. I mean, but again, I think, you know, poor start to the season for Arsenal. They seem to have turned it around. Spurs obviously have let go of their manager, so they had some um, some, some work to do to catch up on that. I think we'll, we'll see that turn the other way here pretty soon. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, and
1: for my second point before uh, we, we go into our little vent session about Newcastle, uh, another team that is flying at the moment, Manchester City, uh, now top of the table um, since we last spoke. They they do have a game in hand over Liverpool. However, they are four points ahead of the Merseyside squad, so regardless of what happens in Liverpool's... Oh, no, that's is that outdated? They've played,
0: they've played an extra game than Liverpool, so Liverpool have a game in hand on them.
1: What did I say? Did I say that Manchester City has. You said they had a game game in hand
0: on Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. They've played played one more. So Liverpool, if they win, will be a point behind City, their game in
1: hand. Yes. Okay. So the the point remains the same that I was trying to make there uh, that Manchester City, uh, regardless of the result of Liverpool's next match, will continue to be top of the Premier League table. the only team as well that has allowed less than 10 goals on the season, Liverpool, or excuse me, Manchester City, only allowing nine in seventeen matches, which is something absolutely remarkable. Uh and today with a seven nil absolute beatdown Oof. of uh Southampton, it was a a brutal one to uh to not watch myself, but uh mm-hmm. Erwin, the, Southampton or excuse me, um Leeds. Leeds. i don't know why i said that i'm staring at the bottom of the table uh against Leeds, and yeah uh six different players scoring for manchester city which is just (laughs) an insane thing to look at but they are they are really firing on all cylinders at the moment um a team like adam i guess something i i want to ask you here is like have you ever seen a team look this impressive without a without a striker without a number nine like Manchester City does not have a center forward on their team and yet they are scoring in absolute buckets and buckets uh it's just it's unbelievable i don't i don't think i've ever seen something like this whether a team can play completely without a traditional forward and and be doing it at such a, an incredible scoring rate
0: yeah i think you know the name of our podcast is the false nines and you know Pep has perfected that right he's he's got these players that typically wouldn't be playing in the number 9 position like Kevin De Bruyne it's the evolution of Kevin De Bruyne right he's gone from being the assist leader in the Premier League to being someone that's a plug and play striker for City and can score for fun uh, he put away two today you've got Phil Foden who really has kind of been more of a midfielder or a winger who's now playing up top also scored today You could probably slot Jack Grealish in there. He got a goal for midfield today, but you probably slot him up top in this City team. There's just so much creativity from the Rodries in the team, from the Gundawans in the team, from those sort of players that you don't really necessarily have to have. Um, Gabriel Jesus playing as an out-and-out striker for this team to have them giving you the return of goals. Um, I think it's just incredible to watch. It's the style and it's the... It's the brand of football that we associate with Pep Guardiola. And it's not surprising. They haven't had a real world-class number nine um, since Sergio Aguero was at the at the club. And just a quick point on him, he retired last week from um, club football due to a heart problem. So our best to Sergio Aguero um, for that. Um, obviously, a dis- disappointment to not see him play more for, for Barcelona this season, but obviously putting his health first, especially after seeing what happened to Christian Erickson and the Euros this time. So I digress. City just, you know, coming on leaps and bounds with a 7-0 victory. We were talking in our last pod about Liverpool's attacking prowess. They're now only five goals behind Liverpool, um, and Liverpool have been struggling a little bit in the last couple of games, to, to put those those goals away. They won't this Thursday when they play Newcastle at home. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, But still, you know, I think, you know, very impressive to see 40 goals from 17 games. And again, to your point, less than 10 goals conceded in 17 games is, is remarkable. That back four looking at Zinchenko, Stones, Laporte, and um, oh, who am I missing there? Uh, Ruben Diaz, excuse me, today as the back four. That's a fantastic, solid back four. And that is, In the last few seasons, Zach, when we've talked about Manchester City, that was an area of opportunity for them. They got that shit figured out now, my friend.
1: They absolutely do. I still don't rank rank Zinchenko. I still don't think Zinchenko is that good of a defender, but when you're on a team that is so unbelievably uh, proficient, and like you said today, playing with really three center defenders in in Stones, Diaz, and Laporte, um, I guess you can have – have a left back who's who's really not at that same level but uh it's 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 a matter of confidence and it's also a matter of you know the the old the old kevin keegan mentality of we can we can score more goals than the other team so that's all we need to do i guess the difference <laughs> between the entertainers and manchester city is you're not going to get a ball past them either
0: I, th- I think you're being a little bit overly critical of Zinchenko there. I think you know, at any other club in the Premier League, he'd be starting every single game. He'd be certainly starting at Newcastle every single game. And I thought he had a good Euros as well. Um, yes, he's not he's not a Ruben Diaz. Yes, he's not you know an Rick Laporte. But I, I do think he's a quality player in his own right.
1: Okay. All right. All right. I. I didn't expect a uh, a defense for uh, for Zinchenko in the podcast, but I I do appreciate it. We we gotta we gotta have everybody accounted for in the Premier League.
0: That's true. Get me my Zinchenko City shirt now. Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
1: okay. Cool. Um, all right, Adam. So before we jump into the first clue for the EPL trivia, uh, new new section, new session for today. I want to see how this goes. A uh, little experimental session. Uh, I'm calling this one the two-minute double shot Newcastle vent. Uh, so basically, what what I'm I'm thinking here, Adam, is that we will each have exactly two minutes. Um, I'm going to keep track on this. It's not going to be like ten and ninety, where uh, I say that it's going to go ninety seconds and it goes closer to nine minutes. So we'll have two minutes apiece to just kind of let it all out, uh, air it out, if you will, about Newcastle United uh, and the state of the club. Uh, and I will let you go first here because you seemed a bit more eager, and you watched the game against Leicester on the weekend. Something I cannot claim to have done. Uh, so in that sense, you have deserved the right to to really go in first.
0: All right, you're gonna cut me off with two minutes.
1: Um. Yes. Let me let me get my timer out.
0: I got do you, it right Do together. you have it? You
1: want it here? You want to track yourself? All right, I, I'll, I'll I give you the the.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll give you um, yeah some trust on that one. All right, here we go. All right, where do I start? Joe Willick, zero goals, zero assists this season. Seven goals in a row to end, or seven games with a goal in a row to end last season. He looks like a shadow of his former self after the injury in the off season. I'd even go as far to say this feels like he's the next Kennedy. The only difference here being that we got duped into signing him on a permanent deal this time around, whereas Kennedy was a season-long loan signing. 20 million pounds. Arsenal must be laughing all the way to the bank based on the way that Joe Willock is signing. Prove me wrong, Joe Willock. Personally, I'd rather be playing Sean Longstaff instead of Willock right now, and that's saying something given how crap Sean Longstaff is. Jamal LaSalle, Zach. Oh, his positional awareness is terrible. He's an awful captain. He has terrible timing. Play out from the back. He couldn't play his way out of a paper bag right now. He's absolute garbage. And Fernandez should be starting in front of him. We have a genuine goal threat in Callum Wilson, one of the best number nines we've seen at the club in forever. And for 70 minutes, I forgot that he was on the field against Leicester. He gets zero service. We've seen Alan St. Maximin basically get found out. His runs are getting frozen out every single time. What do you do when you play against Alan St. Maximin? You put two players on him and he can never figure it out. And he's not contributing since Howe has come in realistically, hasn't been able to do anything there. Um, Still stick two players on him and he's screwed. Um, Last thing I want to say about Newcastle is who will want to sign for this club in January? Realistically, right? Are you going to want to sign as a world-class player? Are you going to want to sign on a permanent transfer for Newcastle given their precarious person? Uh, position at the bottom of the league probably not i think if we sign anybody of note if we go down they're going to walk anyway i'm feeling very pessimistic for the month ahead in december for newcastle that's one minute 59 seconds your turn sir
1: wow 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 only a week out from our first victory of the season and it's it's doom and gloom from the golf and household uh i can't say i disagree though um okay all right, that, that was more of a an interlude. I hope that doesn't count against my time. Um <laughs> All right, you know, sir. Let's, let's, let's hit the reset button here.
0: <laughs> All right, on three. One, two, three.
1: Okay. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting, you know. I think Eddie Howe is a great man to have in charge of Newcastle right now. And I think he still is figuring things out, and that's that's fair enough. His his tenure has been fairly short. That being said, uh, a lot of puzzling decisions that are being made uh, in terms of team selection. You mentioned Fernandez se- seemingly getting frozen out right now. Um, he needs to be, you know, it can't get any worse. We have the the, the joint worst defense in the Premier league alongside Nars So might as well try to change things up. And what's also puzzling to me is we watch a season and a half of Mickey Almiron being played on the wing out of position. By Steve Bruce. And Eddie Howe comes in, a, a, a meticulous, a, a known meticulous manager who undoubtedly watched a ton of Newcastle footage before taking the job. And he continues to play Almiron on the wing, and it hasn't worked at all. You know what, Adam, what I would do is I would, if you want to keep Albert in the team and you want to keep Joe Willick in the team, switch them, put Willick on the wing and put Albert in the middle of the park where he belongs and see if Willick can make an impact playing, uh, you know, as a, a right midfielder or a right winger. I mean, it's it's two players who you can't really get any much worse out of right now. So if they're going to continue a place in the squad, see if you can be more effective Uh, it it is tough to watch Newcastle right now and and pick a place on the pitch that doesn't need improvement. I think that St. Maximin doesn't necessarily need to be dropped, but he needs to not have that place in the team week in and week out. And I would say past defense, which I think needs to be entirely restructured in January. If you can get a winger that can challenge St. Maximin for a place in that starting 11, I think that would be massive because you're right. Besides that game against Brentford, the 3-3 draw, it's looked so simple to play against St. Maximin. You put two men on him and you know that he will dribble himself into an absolute knot. So my opinion on Newcastle in two minutes.
0: All right. I like it. Um, You get some really good points there. I think just about kind of switching up Willick and Almiron. I really like that idea. Um, I've, I I deliberately didn't harp on Mickey because I think he's done a little bit better in the last few games, but I've been a pretty open critic of his in the past in terms of what he contributes to the team. I think his final ball is poor. His passing is not great. I think he gets us out of the back. Well, Um, he kind of picks up the ball and kind of like makes that first kind of initial push forward. But I think his link-up play hasn't been what I'd hoped it would be. Um, I do want to finish on a positive. I'll finish on a positive, Zach. And I will say that the thing for me after watching Newcastle against Leicester this weekend that impressed me most was nobody on the pitch. It was the Newcastle support from start to finish. They outsang the Leicester fans all game long. I don't know if you saw these these quotes, but basically – 2-0 two, uh, two when the second goal went in, the Leicester fans started singing, going down, going down, going down. Yeah, like classic, kind of like taunting the the team in the bottom three. And our response to that was, 2-0, and you still don't sing. <laughs> and we were the mm-hmm. loudest fans there of the entire game. Um, it, it felt like a home game. A lot of us commented on that just in terms of what you could hear. Fans were outstanding. We lost 4-0. All the fans stayed at the end of the game. We're still singing for the club. I will say that this group of players right now for Newcastle does not deserve the Newcastle fan base right now.
1: Mm, A great point. Yeah, that's something that's always been mystifying to me as as somebody who doesn't, you know, has never been to Newcastle, who has never experienced the the love that the city has for, for our club is... Like how do you people watch this weekend and week out and then get on a train for a four hour journey, like hat hats off. I, I will never fully understand it, but I think in a way I never really can. So it's, about the,
0: it's about the experience. It's about the full experience, right? It's about the kind of heading down there for the day. It's about having some beers with your mates. It's about singing all all game long, regardless of whether you win or not. Of course it's better if you win, um, but it's about the whole kind of match day and kind of match weekend experience uh, of traveling with your friends to see the game. So I've been fortunate enough to watch Newcastle live at St. James's Park. I haven't seen an away game for them. Um, would love to at some point, but some of the best fans in the world, my friend make you feel welcome right from the get go. Say you're visiting, say it's your first game and like they, they take you under their wing. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful feeling and a beautiful club. Yeah.
1: Something that I, I one day, one day will experience and, and look forward to that day. Coming up, hopefully, uh, sometime soon. Uh, Okay, Uh, we'll we'll take a commercial break in just a minute. But before that, Adam, hit us with clue number one for the EPL trivia this evening.
0: All right, so a reminder on the question, who's the only player to have scored a hat-trick in the Premier League, all three divisions of the English Football League, the League Cup, the FA Cup, and for his country? Your first clue, Zach, this player also represented three different MLS teams during his playing career none of which did he score a hat-trick for though. Those three teams were the Toronto FC, the Chicago Fire, and the Vancouver Whitecaps.
1: Oh, man. This is fascinating. I wish I had even an ounce of MLS fandom because I feel like that would probably be a a pretty dead giveaway um, if if I knew my MLS soccer. But that is the Toronto, Chicago, and Vancouver. have <laughs> scored in every division. Wow! This is, this one has really got me in knots. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about this.
0: I thought it I thought it would trip you up here, so I'm excited. I got one more clue for you at the end of the pod, and hopefully it might be a telling clue, but we will see.
1: Alrighty, cool. Well, we are going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to get a special championship football league update. By my friend and uh, apartment compatriot, Noah Byrne. So stay locked. All right, we are back from our first commercial break, episode 79 of The False Nines. Really, really excited to introduce Noah Byrne onto the podcast. It's been a long time since we've had a guest, uh, and Noah. Is a lifelong Bristol City fan. Not a lot of people from uh, the middle of New Jersey can probably make that claim. Um, so I scoured scoured the nation for a championship expert and landed on the
2: man who lives in the same apartment as I. No, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Um, I I think I'm probably the only Bristol City fan that lives <laughs> in New Jersey. Um, if you don't count my dad, and he's not he's not really a fan. So
1: perfect, perfect. Yeah. You need to
0: start, you start your own Bristol City supporters group here in Denver. No, you get, you got to get the uh, the Bristol City faithful out there supporting their team and watching. Yeah. them win whatever they show the championship. I wonder on how
1: you, I wonder how you would go about finding. Like, how would you search it out? Would you have to put flyers on uh, telephone poles? Would you have to get like real old fashioned with it?
2: I think the biggest wrinkle to that plan is that there aren't really any ways to watch the games. I think we'd yeah. be doing more. Sitting and listening to the games, which um, it would be
1: like some World War Two stuff. You'd be sitting around
2: the transistor radio It feels like you'd be sitting around like a trash can on fire listening to (laughs) Bristol City. They're not very good either So um, I don't know if I'm gonna pursue that until things become a little bit more enjoyable
1: Yeah, Um, Adam quick uh, Mm. quick trivia for you. Do you know what uh, What English legend manager is currently managing Bristol City?
0: I do, yeah. Um, Ex-Leicester manager Nigel Pearson is in charge of Bristol. Mm, big big fucking Nige is
1: in charge. Um, well, cool. Now, I'm I'm glad that you were able to to make this this time. I'm glad we were able to schedule something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think for the next few minutes, I'll kind of let you and Adam riff a little bit about the championship because, as as listeners know, I'm not terribly adept at championship football. Uh, adam a native of the british isles is is far more in tune with those goings abouts um and so yeah i'll kind of hand the mic over to you noah uh and i guess let's i'll I'll give a prompting question then take a step back um what what do you want people to know about the championship like what what is what what do you think is something about the championship that is so unique and, and makes it such an entertaining
2: entertaining league uh for for folks to to kind of I think the championship, I think it is English football at its peak without all the like foreign influence of the Premier League that people find really frustrating. I think there's no huge mega billionaires. And if they are, they're really bad at their job. <laughs> um, the people in the Premier League, I think for such a long time, I think it was an amazing English league. And then we introduced some foreign players and it was like, wow, we had this amazing blend of English players and foreign players. And it all was this nice collector for a while. And then I think it just took one extra step too far Whether it's the super league, whether it's, it's players pretty much. I think I'm a bit of a, a nativist here where it's, I think English players should have a role in their own domestic league. And I think it's sometimes we've kind of just forgotten their impact and, and the cultures they have on this team. I think um, teams like, arsenal and united having american owners that know absolutely nothing about the history i think it's i think it frustrated a lot of fans that love seeing the english game for a long time and i think the championship is the perfect perfect middle ground where you're a fan you go to the games you have a drink or two and then you go home and there's no advertisements in your face and you get to just go out and enjoy the game in a a pretty simple form
1: Mm. yeah so so to be clear here it's it's not a it's not necessarily like a gripe at you know Foreign players coming to England and playing in the Premier League—it's more what you know the opening up, uh, the, the Premier League becoming this international brand has done for the quality of game and the quality of experience. It's—it's it's not that. No, yeah, it's, it's not definitely. that non-English players shouldn't be
2: playing. The no, League. I think, I think, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think like, I got lost for a second. I think foreign players in English football and any like mixing of races when it comes to different styles, um, I think, is great. But. My take is it just that I doesn't it doesn't feel like the Premier League clubs are very attached to the cities anymore, mm-hmm. it's just where they play. It's just sometimes they even knock down the old stadiums and put in their new ones with big betting um, advertisements. I think it's just in the championship. It's very much family clubs where the clubs, whether they're good or not, are just a part of the, the city. And it's just something they, they partake in altogether. And I don't think that's the case in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, I, you, you raise some really great points. My, my dad um, is a Norwich City fan as I'm sure you know, an yo of mm-hmm. between the Premier League and the championship for some seasons now. And he's always said to me, I'd far prefer to be in the championship winning and competing in games um, mm-hmm. and playing a better brand of football than basically be in a relegation battle in the Premier League every season against these yeah. teams with far bigger budgets with lots of kind of like um, outside capital that's coming in. He said he gets no enjoyment from watching his team playing in the Premier League and you know, trying to avoid defeat every game, and yeah. I, I I do think that the championship is a far more competitive league in that anybody could really do well in it, versus the Premier League where you have that kind of you know top four or top six that are really pretty consistently up at the top end of the division.
2: Yeah, I think that that's the great point. I think that's one of the things I love so much being a Bristol City fan is every year, week leading up to it, whether the team's good or not, you kind of have that I like that a spark in the back of your head being like, maybe this is the year we just go on that Cinderella run. We make it up to the Premier League. And once you say Bristol City fan in New Jersey, that there's hundreds of other people just randomly are like, this team is cool. It's like you have a chance. Every team in theory has a chance to be Leicester City from 2016. And maybe it doesn't always happen, but you have teams like Brentford who hadn't been in the top flight for 80 years, just have a couple great seasons. And out of nowhere, next thing they're in the Premier League playing against and beating teams like Arsenal. So I think it's the, it's the Cinderella factor every year, whether your team is good or not, because, like, I think something that else is great about it is Bristol City right now, nine points from the relegation zone, also nine points from the playoffs, and they've had an objectively very bad year. That's crazy. It's always on the grabs, and I think the playoffs is also a super fascinating thing to have in a league as well. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, my my best friend is a Luton Town fan, and uh, they've they've, you know, really kind of pushed to stay in the championship last few seasons. They're having a pretty – pretty good year mm-hmm. themselves but i always i always kind of look keep an eye out for their results and i noticed that the the league is very very tight from top to bottom mm-hmm. and you see teams that were performing well in previous teams starting to drop down towards the bottom um the other thing that i was going to bring up as well you know is that you don't t- tend to see teams in the premier league that are consistently in there ever really have any financial difficulties When you are a team that's in one of the lower leagues championship down, there's always that worry with the lack of Mm -hmm. kind of TV coverage. You mentioned it yourself. It's hard to see the games, right? So you don't get that TV revenue. Mm
2: -hmm. Without
0: that, it becomes all the more important that your club is run well from a financial standpoint so that you can avoid what's happening at Derby County right now. Does that ever concern you for Bristol City that your team might follow a similar path? I
2: don't. I'm not sure I for the most part, I think something that's great about being a Bristol City fan, and I'm sure this is present in a lot of championship clubs, is it feels like the owners are pretty transparent with the club. Like they're still owners of the club. They still kind of do their backings and hire CEOs that are terrible and don't understand the culture like it's going to happen. But like, there's like Bristol City podcast I listen to, like one week they'll be interviewing the owner for 30 minutes. It's like these are just two guys who have been fans for years. And to have that direct access and hear about someone in a lot of cases, some success stories even, but um, like Cardiff City and and teams like Leeds where these these foreign owners coming in. There are still so many clubs in the Premier League where the owner is just someone who grew up in that city and found a way onto a lot of money and was like, I'm going to buy my hometown club. So it doesn't always make for the best support, but I feel like, yeah, it's definitely a worry. Revenue affects transfers. It's it's really hard. I feel like every year you're kind of push for cash, but I think it it leads you to just be even more creative and and hopefully push players through your academy. And it's the teams, a lot of the time, the teams that aren't yo-yo clubs that get promoted from the championship out of nowhere are just teams that have been just doing everything right for the last couple of years and really focusing on their fundamentals and not relying on big, big spenders to bail them out and just bit by bit, just building up and just catching fire one year and going to the top. But yeah, there definitely are cases where people just like Sunderland just explode with, with high wages and people in the lower leagues mm-hmm. yeah uh, absolutely uh Sunderland uh
1: so it's so tough watching them fail year after year although it's tough to tough to even like mock Sunderland right now if you're if you're a Newcastle fan um Noah so question for you uh as somebody who who watches or, or listens to or follows championship football as best that you can uh, give us some players that we should be kind of, kind of looking after in the championship right now, maybe ones that like, I, I know, you know, a lot of players will be, be uh, like, they'll, they'll be primarily players loaned to the championship and have a good spell, but um, kind of straying away from guys like Dominic Solanke or, or players that you know, Premier League fans might be familiar with. Who are some some players that, you know, have, have been in the lower leagues
2: for a bit of time that uh, you think that we should be keeping an eye on? I think one of the hot shots that I think is a really funny footballing story anyway is Ben Brereton-Diaz. Um, you no know, one that doesn't know Ben Brereton, he is about 23 years old. He kind of, I think he plays like right wing, left wing for Blackburn Rovers. Um, former England, like kind of U-20 guy was in the system for a while, kind of knew about him. And one day he's playing for Blackburn and he's doing pretty well and he gets a message on i think it was instagram someone was playing football manager the game and found out that ben brereton through a grandmother was eligible to play for chile or maybe it was his mother her mother or grandmother was eligible to play for chile so what he does is he's like okay that's really weird but sure i'll play for chile and he gets called up to the national team Goes to the Copa America, is a sensation. Scores like two goals, is playing alongside Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal, and then changes his name to Ben Brereton Diaz, and he's become this like perfect sensation for a pretty good Blackburn team. And he puts up hat tricks. I think he's probably at like fifteen goals, seven assists, having a really good year. Um, he's, I think, is the breakthrough star. If it's not through Blackburn, I think you're going to see him on a Premier League team very soon. But that's yeah, I think hilarious. Some other things. I think people come to the Premier Leagues as a chance to revive their careers. You know, you saw with Adam Armstrong. You're seeing it now with Dominic Solanke, and something that Zach and I disagree on a lot is I think Alexander Mitrovic, a player who's turned a corner for Newcastle or no, not Newcastle, Fulham, who is at like 17 games in, is at like 25 goals right now, or something ridiculous. Is like scoring with one out of every two shots is going in for Mitrovic, and that leads to a lot of success for teams like Bournemouth and Fulham. That that still have those good managers, but yeah, there's a lot of good talent. I think something that's super exciting about clubs is since they're strapped for cash, they they rely on the lower leagues. They bring up players from the lower leagues. You saw it with with Ivan Tony coming up from I think he was at Peterborough for a couple of years. But it, it's just a ex ex Newcastle uh, Academy castaway, Ivan Tony. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you can look in most teams and you can find either a really solid Premier League vet. A guy like Danny Drinkwater, who's coming back and just head down, just grinding till he gets gets that lets team notice that he still got it. And then you got a mix of some really young young kids. There's a Bristol City player I think is exceptional. His, his name is Han Noah Masengo. He has a massive afro. He's a young Frenchman, and he actually has a Champions League appearance <laughs> under Thierry Henry's Monaco. So wow! If you really look, there's some Champions League experience in the Championship. Ooh. As well. Ooh! Wow. Okay, that's 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 cool.
1: People to be people to to certainly keep an eye on. Uh, I'd love it if Newcastle took a flyer on a guy like that. Uh, You know, just if we if we have the money, which we obviously do, um, a championship player would perhaps be more inclined to to go to a relegation struggler than uh, a player on the bench of a, a a top half team in the Premier League. So might might be a good way for Newcastle to refocus.
0: I I have one final question for you, Noah. Um, mm-hmm. y- you mentioned that your your team Bristol City is nine points off relegation, nine points off the playoffs. So in all likelihood, they stay in the championship next season. Yep. How many points will the Robins take off the Magpies next season in the championship? Um.
2: Well, while I predict that after like a full season under Nigel Pearson, who I think is a very good manager, and is dealing with just a lot of players kind of near the end of their contracts that don't want to be there, starting 17-year-olds over players we signed from Chelsea, kind of stuff like that. But I think after a year, Bristol City will take a a step up, but I think Newcastle in the championship last year will just be an absolute joke. I think if they have Almiron and St. Maximum, by some grace of God, like those guys will look like Terry Henry. Like They will be incredible. There's a lot of very slow, tall English defenders in the championship (laughs) that cannot deal with even an ounce of pace. Troy Deeney burns some skills. So, I think. I think if Newcastle comes, they take all six points at Newcastle and down at Ashton Gate in Bristol as well. No, noted, noted,
1: noted, noted, Road runner Troy Deeney burning grass in the championship. Like
0: dude, time, dude, uh, Almiron, Almiron, when he started playing for Newcastle, and he was so lightweight that he got knocked over all the time in the Premier League because it was more physical than playing in MLS imagine him in the fucking championship oh my god if he, he was up would the fire.
2: he's just gonna get knocked yeah i don't think you got it's not a household name at all his name is aiden flint he played for bristol city for years i don't know why i assume you guys would know Aiden Flint. he's a <laughs> center back right now for cardiff but he he scores hat tricks off corners like fairly consistently i remember the year bristol city got promoted up from league one i think aiden flint finished <laughs> with about 16 goals as center back. So to think an aerial battle somehow between Almiron and, and Aiden Fulham oh would end God. in a hospital visit, I would imagine. That
1: is, that is, uh, that's some incredible visuals to, yeah, to think of
2: Miggy Almiron going in a physical battle against anybody. And my one last point, I think, about the championship is great, is for longtime Premier League fans, the nostalgia levels are off the chart. You'll sometimes find a Mick McCarthy-Cardiff team versus a Neil Warnock Middlesbrough team, which is the most random Premier League games of all time. I think, I'm not sure if this is true, I think Shola Amayobi might be a striker for Nottingham Forest Ooh, right now. And doing uh, fairly well. Sa- um, Sammy, Sammy Sammy Amayobi. Sammy, Sammy, Sammy brother Sammy right. yeah. yeah. Uh, He's yeah, a mix-up to make. I actually didn't know those were two different players. But, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really nostalgic, weird players. Uh, Bristol City signed Danny Simpson um who played like two games and i think ex-newcastle lad yeah it's just a bunch of really odd people with some really old english managers that sometimes refuse (laughs) to transition to to non-smoking in the locker room and it it just it becomes a weird but very interesting product Mm. and i think it's for diehard fans of the premier league that are like the super league was nonsense i think your home should be in the championship there you go
0: I saw I saw you guys sign Chris Brunt as well. No another good no no nonsense hard as nails player that always it's, did a job for West Brom back in the day.
2: It's always tough to see your team sign a player and have them retire <laughs> 80%, <laughs> 80% of the way through their first contract. I think hey. Chris Brunt the season was going so poorly. Bristol City lost like twelve games in a row. Didn't win at home like seventy games. I'm pretty sure Chris Brunt just retired one week. Like that was on the injury board. Like he just left the team. Oh
1: man, uh, what what happens in the championship will stay in the championship. Uh, that is that is some unbelievable stuff. Well, if there was ever a sales pitch to to try to get some illegal streams of the second division of English football, I think that was his. As good
2: as you're as you're gonna find. They are sometimes found on ESPN Plus. They pick a game every week. It's normally either Bournemouth or Fulham. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I remember when Newcastle was in the championship the the second time uh, in the last ten years. We had quite quite a few games yeah. on on uh, on TV. Exactly, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, Noah, thank you for, for coming on and gracing us with your knowledge of the lower leagues of English football. Uh, we will be going into armchair pundits next, which is where Adam and I give our own kind of unsolicited opinions. You're welcome to stay on the pod if you have a few more minutes. Uh, I'll stay for a little bit. All righty. All righty. Cool. So uh, we'll transition then into armchair pundits. As a reminder, everybody, armchair pundits, Adam and I are going to are going to make make a take, if you will, that some might disagree with. Uh, I will point out, Adam, my armchair pundits from our last episode was that uh, then 6th place Wolves will be closer to the relegation zone than they will be to the top 4 uh, when we go into the new year. And I'd like to point out right now, Adam, Wolves now in 10th. They are winless in their last 4 with 2 losses on the trot. Uh, they are now... Seven points off the what? What are you? What are you wagging your finger at? They're now Context, seven point-
0: contextually they've lost two games: Liverpool one yeah. 0 Manchester City one 0 Liverpool until the ninety fourth minute to beat. Them. Here.
1: Uh, Wolves. Consider. Seven points off West Ham in fourth, and uh, ten points off Burnley in eighteenth. Watch this space. It doesn't matter that Wolves certainly deserved a point against Liverpool, despite <laughs> Diogo Jonah trying his best to to keep that game level at nil nil. Uh, so yeah, with without any further ado, I guess we'll we'll let you get into your armchair. Part. What was yours from last episode?
0: Uh, mine in the last episode. Man, I don't remember right now. Um, we'll I think it was. To it. Yeah, we'll get back to it, but I've got a, I've got a good get one for you, to you today. Hot on the heels of a, a seven nil thrashing today, my armchair pundit for today is that Marcelo Bielsa will not finish the season as Leeds manager. Ooh, love that. Love that take. All right, here's my stats to back it up. Leeds have conceded thirty two goals this season so far. Only worse records than that are Newcastle and Norwich with thirty four. He hasn't figured out the defensive problems they had last season. He's had money to invest, and he has chosen not to invest it there. They're also not scoring as freely as they did last season. Uh, They scored 17 goals so far this season in their 16 games, and that is the same as Newcastle as well, who, as we know, are in the bottom three. They've had one win in seven, six points from 21, not a great return for a team that should be certainly battling, at least in the middle part of the table and then one other thing that i noticed this week that i think is going to be huge for lead season patrick bamford tore his hamstring last weekend yep um they started dan james up top today as a lone striker dan james isn't a striker he's a winger he's a great player i love dan james being a welshman um but that's not sustainable they need they need out and out strikers to be scoring goals if they can't score goals they're going to really really struggle this season
1: I, yeah, I love that. I, I, I yeah, the ban, the Bamford loss is enormous. Uh, torn hamstring will be, I, I would assume out for the season. Um, and yeah, I think it's tough. I, I think you see the individual quality on that team. Obviously, you know, we've all sung the praises of, of Calvin Phillips for a while, the Yorkshire Pirlo Um, you know, you also have good players in Rafinha Rodrigo can, can put in a shift, but, um, yeah, if you're not able to, to score goals, and especially under the style that Marcelo Bielsa plays, we've mentioned this before, you know, he's never been known to be a defensive manager. And if if you can't score, um, that is a pure recipe for disaster. Another interesting thing about Bielsa is that he uh, before coming to Leeds, he had never been at a club for more than two seasons. He has now been at Leeds for uh, just on three and a half seasons. So, is it the has the hourglass ran out of sand long ago, and is it time to to kind of shake things up and and follow the trends of of previous clubs and um, of Marcelo Bielsa himself, trying to go on to an adventure? So, I agree with you, Adam. I've been thinking about that a lot recently, and. You know Leeds is now only five points outside the drop zone. So if they keep if they keep falling, uh, a change is is probably imminent. All right. I think they
2: I think they worship Marcelo Bielsa in Leeds. And you said this year would be his last year. And uh, I could see him leaving on his own accord, but it won't be due to fans fans pressure anymore. I think I think they love and respect the man.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a good point. I guess it'll it'll become interesting on how much you know how much is the front office of Leeds willing to to kind of go against the maybe preferences of the fans if results keep going in the way that they have been
0: going. Yeah. And the Norwich City fans love and respect Daniel Farka, but it didn't stop them from letting him go this season. I think there comes a certain tipping point. Um, and I think that this season might be it for Leeds.
2: I think that, I think the way Bielsa also leave, like he leaves every club is, some controversy and then he gives a press conference and storms off and you never see him again. I think he has just a bit too much respect for the city of Leeds and the great success he's had there. Like you said, it's a club he's been out for one of the longest in his career. I think I think he gives them the ending they deserve. And I think I could see them, I could see it be a mutual parting, but I don't think it'll be a typical Bielsa explosion. Yeah. Interesting. All
0: right. Yeah. Uh, I like, we'll, we'll I like have that to...
2: perspective.
1: We'll have to watch out of space. Okay, Adam, my uh, my armchair pundits today, uh, as per usual, following your analytical, you know, easy to understand and easy to back opinion. I'm gonna go with something completely off the cuff, with absolutely zero uh, statistical backing uh, to 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 kind of uh, provide fodder for for my opinion. Um, despite coming off a uh, an, a simple four nil win over Newcastle on the weekend. Leicester City, sitting in eighth in the Premier League right now, uh, has had a, a wildly um, disappointing season so far, both in English football and uh, abroad. Uh, and my opinion today is that Leicester's rebuilding project begins this summer. I think that Leicester sells at least two of their young stars on the summer. Uh, I'll say that those young stars are comprised of Yuri Tielemans, James Madison, and let's put... Uh, I suppose Harvey Barnes in that conversation as well. I think that Leicester is it has kind of been relying on this old guard for a few years now. Uh, Jamie Vardy clearly is, is the first person who comes to mind, and I think that Ian Nacho is, is kind of being put in place to potentially be the, the new striker at uh, at Leicester when, when Vardy eventually leaves. Um, but I think that there are. There are a lot of issues in that team. I think that Johnny Evans is kind of past the grade right now. Uh, I don't know what has happened to Kaglar Soyuncu since his uh, debut season where he was a a team of the year candidate in the Premier League. But I think that Leicester needs a really, really big shakeup. And I think that the way to do that effectively in the modern day Premier League is sell your prized assets and replace them with quality around the pitch. We see that Aston Villa is doing that despite the fact that you know we talked about earlier the return that they've gotten for the Grealish money isn't really straightening out so far. Um, but I think now is the perfect time for for Leicester to essentially sell high and try to kind of reconform this team into the next uh, iteration of what they might be in the Premier League.
0: You th- So you think that the most likely would maybe be Madison then that they would get rid of?
1: I, I think the Madison... Madison might not be the... I think they would get the most money from Tielemans, although, you know, consequently, he would also probably have the biggest impact on uh, them losing him. I know he's been injured for parts of this season, but I think you can get a pretty penny from Madison, especially because he's an English player. We've talked ad nauseum about the inflated price of, of young English players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they need they need to do something. You know, it's a it's a team with the worst defensive record uh, in the top half of the Premier League table, Uh, And a team that is, you know, is not scoring as freely again. Besides the match on the weekend against (laughs) against Newcastle, not scoring as freely as they have in years past. And I think that um, we talked about this last episode. I don't think that Brendan Rodgers is the problem, although I could see a knee jerk firing because that's how you know the Premier League works. But I think that the bigger thing there is that they need to essentially kind of overhaul the team, um, and I think the best way of doing that on a on a at a club that does not have you know billions and billions being poured into it is is by selling your prized assets.
0: Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll be curious to see if that happens. I think Iose Perez is another player who I could see probably on the outside Leicester this this off season. I don't think he's getting the game time that he wanted since he made that move from Newcastle. Um, I've been really impressed with Patson Daka since he's come in um scored four goals in the um Europa League um in a game actually Jamie Vardy's never done that for Leicester it was an interesting statistic I heard first player mm. since the 60s to do that for Leicester I thought was fascinating but yeah, I, could, I could see it happening Tielemans is uh is certainly a marquee player um for the Belgian national team and I think could be someone to command a really high transfer fee if that's the route they want to go
2: I don't think there's anything to worry about Leicester I think there's a bit of have a hangover from an excellent season last year and an amazing FA Cup victory, and I think they're missing some really key players in de- defense, Wesley Fofana, I think one of the best young center backs, even at times one of the best center backs in the Premier League, broke his leg in a preseason game, they're missing. Who's that left back, the young English plus back, James Justin, James Justin. towards ACL should be coming back soon as a great player. I think it's just, I think people are tired, I think they're, they're readjusting, I know James Madison missed a lot of last year, I think people are just getting back into the swing of things, I think. Europe right off the bat was just a lot on the team. I think now that they're out of Europe, they'll they'll slowly ground themselves and still, I think they're in the push for to finish in a Europa League position again and challenge one of the cups. I think there's a lot of quality in Leicester and players like Ndidi, who I think are silent killers in the league. And I think every team goes through a bad patch, but to, to be where they are on the table after having such a horrible start, I think shows that Leicester can still have a pretty successful season.
0: Yeah, some good, some good points there. One one caveat I'd add, despite the fact that they dropped out of the Europa League, they did, by finishing third in their Europa League group, qualify for the Europa yeah. Conference League. So they're not out of the Europa, Europa Conference League. League. <laughs> they the still Europa have League 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 is
2: the League. championship. It's the championship of European competitions. Celtics having to photo yeah. Gwent next. next, next it's, it's a really is that, that's
1: a Norwegian team, right?
2: So. i i'm pretty certain they that beat oh that's the team that beat um as roma five nil in one of the conference league games when they when they were at bodo glenn which yeah i think is enough i
1: i have read about that team there was a new york times article about bodo glenn last year believe it or not because they are the northernmost team in europe they play at like the northern tip of norway 40 miles south of the arctic circle um and so bodo glenn is a is a it's a deep soccer Twitter fan favorite of a team.
2: Yeah. They could yeah. very well win the Europa Conference League without any trouble. They could probably play <laughs> by their reserves and do a really good shot. It's just a bunch of random European teams and then a couple of strong teams like Leicester. So. Yeah, that is uh, exciting. They will, I forgot about that they will still be, be playing some prestigious European footballs.
0: <laughs> yep. A- Antonio Conte's claim to fame in the Europa Conference League is that uh, since he started as Spurs manager, he's played four games in the Premier League, has managed to avoid defeats against Everton, Leeds, uh, Brentford, and Norwich, but lost to Mura from Slovenia 2-1 yeah, on the Europa I saw Conference that League.
2: I the highlights of that game, actually. <laughs> they scored a beautiful goal off of davidson Sanchez error in the 90th minute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it doesn't surprise oh, me, Davis not the best player. Pe-
1: people in uh, yet he has made 150 appearances for Spurs, which is pretty unbelievable. Um says a lot about right, Spurs. Cool. I, I like this. I like this. I like this uh this kind of promotional twist that we put on the latter half of the pod, first for the championship and second for the, the Europa Conference <laughs> League. <Yeah. laughs> we'll be we'll be we'll be talking about uh you know, we'll be talking about. Uh, many, many an obscure cup to come. Maybe that'll be a new segment on the pod. Uh, is is introducing a new, a new obscure uh, cup. Well, okay, cool. Uh, Ten and ninety is the last thing we have left. Adam, do you need do you need a water break, a bathroom break, or do you want to get right into it?
0: Let's get right into it. I've got a, I've got a good hypotheticals um, topic for okay. you today. So I think you can you can both join in here. Um, this should be a fun one. I did this okay. uh, theme a while a while back. Um, it was manager or player most likely to. Um, so if you if you want to kind of hop in with your your opinion on this, um, yeah. should be pretty rapid rapid fire.
1: Okay, so so just to to give a refresher and give an introduction to you now. In ten and ninety, we each give five rapid reaction questions in what is supposed to be ninety seconds. I've done seventy nine episodes of this podcast, ranging back almost four years, and it has never been completed in ninety seconds. Uh, that streak will not be broken today. Uh, but we do have some fun uh, rapid fire questions <coughs> that we will all participate in so yeah without any further ado Adam let's let's get into it
0: all right who is the EPL player or manager most likely to binge watch all Harry Potter movies back to back player
1: or manager you
0: said yes okay
2: yes we'll we'll go whoever comes up with an answer first here can go first. Here with former Swansea City manager Gary Monk
1: Oh, okay. So an ex-Premier League manager we're going yes. with. Any reason? No. Okay. Gary Monk <laughs> is, is, is the answer. Uh, I go with Patrick Bamford because I think he kind of looks like a young Daniel uh, Radcliffe.
0: Oh, I like that one. That's good. All right. Question number two. Yeah. Which player or manager would be most likely to hit on your mom at your 21st birthday party?
1: Richarlison.
0: I'm
2: going to stick with manager and go Big Sam Allardyce. <laughs> big Sam. <laughs> I yeah. Like he's that's, off the covers. That's, one of those big glasses of wine that he got in that England video. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Big, big Sam, a man who has managed Richarlis. And So that actually fit together nicely. <laughs> one, two,
0: one. Yep. All right. Question three In honor of Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> which EPL player manager would be most likely to claim they're vaccinated when they're not actually vaccinated?
1: Oh, oh man! Let me think about that for a second.
2: Player manager to claim there. I'm fascinated. Um, I think in tune of managers, I think I'm gonna go with Sean Dice. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think hole. that's
1: that's a great shout. I I would say the one hole there is I don't think Sean Dice would even claim it. I think he would he would really you flat, flat out refuse and then show up to the the Burnley matches with like a fake mustache on or something like that.
2: Might
0: kick, have a
1: kick COVID's Sorry. ass, Sean Dice would. Um, I will. I guess I'll I'll match that with a player. I'm gonna go with Eric Dyer. <laughs> All right. Great, great okay. A weirdo, Eric Tyre. <laughs> <laughs> Not a friend of the pod. <laughs>
0: Not a friend of the pod, no. no. <laughs> Question number four Which EPL player manager would be most likely to refuse to train but expect to walk straight into the first 11?
1: Besides Pierre, I'm um, <laughs> that, Yeah, that one doesn't count because I know that that's inspired by. Um, I'm
2: going to go Paul Pogba oh Ooh, that's a good
1: one good one that's that's a great one um, a I, he does have a lot of attitude um i will go with <laughs> i'm looking at the table right now uh I can see Jorginho pulling a move like that, coming off the heels of a second play or a a third place Bollinger finish, which we talked about last episode. My feelings for that. Um, so I think Jorginho would do that.
0: All right. I like those both. Those are good answers. Uh, final question for you then Which Premier League manager or player would be most likely to confidently speak the first language of every player in their squad? So who's the most multilingual player you would imagine in the Premier League?
1: Well, that Multilingual player, or manager. Um, a fairly accurate answer here that I will give is Romelu Lukaku, who, he fluently speaks six languages.
0: Interesting. I didn't know he spoke that many languages.
1: Yeah. I was.
2: Yeah, I think that that might actually just be
0: the answer.
1: Correct. Yeah, that, that might be. That might not be <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> I
0: didn't. I didn't actually know that statistic, and you both did apparently. So there you go. Lukaku is the linguist. All right. Yeah, Lukaku is
1: really smart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go with that one.
0: Awesome. Uh, as always, I give a bonus question um, that I will throw out here. Zach usually does an absolutely terrible job of pronouncing <laughs> this, but in general, the theme for this is no that we want you to try and pronounce a Welsh word.
2: Okay, oh, i spell. Wales.
0: I'm not there you go. Perfect. Things, I knew I liked you. Okay, well uh, we'll try and spell it, and we'll see if you can pronounce this. It's N E F O E. D D N E F O E D D. No, you've got to go first though because I make I embarrass Zach every episode, so
1: mm-hmm. Zach. Nerfed. <laughs> Nerfed. <laughs> it's,
0: <laughs> it's it's is Nevoid. <laughs> Man, nevoid. That's a good one. Nevoid. Okay. N-E-F-O-E-D-D. And translated it means heaven
2: all right i was really hoping you were going to ask me to pronounce aberrista with <laughs> oh no no that would be too easy
0: you, you, you that's a the only course, one i can do <laughs> of
1: course of course of course um all right i like all right that. good effort like yes. good effort good stuff uh okay 90 seconds has gone by so i will jump into my 10 and 90 now um all right guys i went with uh four factual questions and then one Uh, hypothetical, I guess, Um, and my theme for today until my last question where I completely went rogue on the theme, is Mohamed Salah the best player currently playing football on the planet that we call Earth? Um, So these are Mohamed Salah questions ranging across his career, uh, and we will start with question number one. Uh, Mohamed Salah has played 22 matches this season. 16 of them in the Premier League, and six in the Champions League. In how many of those matches did he neither record a goal nor an assist? I'll let you both guess. 22 matches between Prem and Champions League. How many matches did he put up? No goals and no assists.
0: I'm going to guess three. I'm going to guess five.
1: Two matches in 22 are the games that he has nothing on the score sheet which is absolutely absurd um, yeah he has six matches of those 22 where he has at least two goals if not three uh, the one time he got three goals was in the five mil win against manchester united
0: yep foreshadowing his I mean, hat trick yeah. against newcastle on thursday of this week
1: don't insult Salah. He will scarf, score far more than three goals against Newcastle United. I didn't know that. That's a really tough picture to have midweek. I <laughs> um, just, you guys, wait till a question later in the 10 of 90. Okay, question number two. Uh, what two current Premier League teams has Mo Salah scored his most goals in his career against?
0: Oh, that's a good question.
1: I'm not going to give you any clue because there's not really a clue to give. It's kind of just like, Off the cuff, who do you think he has scored his most goals against? Two teams that he has combined for nine apiece. Are they both current Premier League teams,
0: Yes. Okay. Let's go with Wolves. Very close,
1: phonetically.
2: Hmm. I'm going to ignore that hint. And I'm gonna go with, um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Tottenham. Uh, and I'm gonna go with Norwich City.
1: Okay, I like that. Norwich unfortunately wouldn't be it simply because
0: of the uh, the amount of games that he has played against them is less. Um yeah. I was trying to think of kind of middle of the road Premier League teams that haven't gone down in the last few years. Um, like just so many Bright- Brighton. Brighton. Let's go, Brighton. Brighton. That's a good one.
1: So you're, you're on the right track. You, you, now that you guys followed my clue, which is that Wolves phonetically begins with a W, as does West Ham and Watford, uh, the two teams that he has scored nine goals uh, apiece against.
0: Oh, Watford were, yeah, no. So that's interesting. Watford would be the same yeah. scenario as Norwich. I suppose so,
2: actually. I thought that hint was too easy to guess West Ham or Watford. That is.
1: Yeah, you always got to think the things that are, that are most obvious there. Um, okay, question number three. Mohamed Salah ranks as Liverpool's 10th highest ever goal scorer. Which 3 players among the 9 above him have played in the 21st century?
0: Have played for Liverpool in the 21st century or just played in the Correct. 21st century?
1: Correct. So 9 9 players have played or have, sc- have scored more goals than Mohamed Salah for Liverpool, only 3 of them have played in this century. Who are they?
0: Michael Owen
1: Correct. Ian Rush. Incorrect. He
0: did not play in the 21st century. I'm pretty sure he did. Maybe for Liverpool. Maybe he's right on the cusp. He played for Newcastle. He finished his career there. Um Mike Lawman. Oh,
1: really? He played for Wrexham.
2: Hmm. Any guesses? Robbie Fowler is a guess of mine. Robbie
1: Fowler is correct.
2: That's a good one, yeah. Yep. I'm gonna guess. Steven Gerrard.
1: That is correct. Michael and Robbie Fowler oh. and Steven Gerrard. Yep. I was wondering if either you guys were going to guess Torres, who has not played nearly enough games for them to make that cut. Suarez so was, was one I, I wanted was. to say,
0: but I just don't think he's, yeah. he was there long enough. He would have done.
2: Yeah. Um, I could have gone for Heskey, who I know was there for a while and did score some goals, but I thought that would be. I know he has 100 goals in the Premier League, but I don't think many of them, or that many of them, are at Liverpool.
1: Yeah and yeah players have scored far more than 100 goals for liverpool but i, I do like that and lord heskey um the, the original lord before lord bender mm. like that. <laughs> um
2: <laughs>
0: heskey very uh, underrated player i think he's a he's a quality player he's really good at aston
2: Villa with um Gabby Agbonlahor lahore combo yeah, that's a
1: classic <laughs> Premier league name
0: the, those were the days when you used to pay by the letter for the name on the back of your shirt and everybody hated those long names like Agbonlahor. lahore <laughs> Uh, not, yeah. not good, not
1: good stuff. Bennett Adi, Adi, yeah. Oh, Benoit Ashokoto. A man who once in an interview during his career said that he hates playing football. That was one of the funniest quotes <laughs> I've ever seen.
2: That's a great quote.
1: <laughs> um, okay, two more questions here. When Mohamed Salah was 17 years old after making his debut in Cairo for al uh, which American coach... Praise Salah for his speed, explosiveness, and intelligence on the pitch.
2: Lord. I feel like the easy answer here is I feel like Bob Bradley took a spin spin in Northern Africa for a little bit. I'm going to lock in Bob Bradley as my guess.
0: Bob Bradley might have been the only American coach that I might be able to name. So I will agree with you. And let's go with Bob Bradley.
1: And for different reasons, you both are correct.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bob Bradley (laughs) is is the right
1: answer to the question. Uh, Yeah, I have no idea. I have no context on when he saw Salah play at 17 years old in Cairo. But he apparently, in an interview, said this lad is going to be something special. So kudos to you, Bob Bradley. Kudos to you. Good coach. Swansea. Swansea coach indeed. Um, okay, question number five, and this is where I've completely diverted from my themes of Salah and actual facts. Uh, in Newcastle's next three matches, which are against Liverpool, Manchester City, and Manchester United, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> how many goals will the joint leakiest defense in the Premier League allow? <laughs> and I want, I want to give you, I want to give you guys one note here. All three of those teams are at worst, four games
2: unbeaten with three wins in their last three matches. I have one question to start off. Is Matty Longstaff available for the Man United game?
1: Uh, he has not. He has been uh, exiled to and from Aberdeen, where apparently he has not played at all on his loan spell.
2: Uh, that's not what a really should
0: then. Yeah, I don't think he – if he's not playing for Aberdeen, I don't think he's going to be playing for the tune. I would say, Zach, in, in all honesty, if we – can concede less than double digits in the next three games, I will be happy.
1: That's horrifying, but probably correct.
2: I think there's a win somewhere in there. I think there might be a win against Manchester United. Is that a midweek game? I believe so. I think there's a Man United win in there. Um, no. I think so. the I think they'll I mean, be- false, but I like what you're saying. I think they'll beat Man United 2-1. <laughs> I think they'll lose to Liverpool 4-0, and they'll lose to Man City
1: 5-1. Okay, so that would put us at 11. 11. Goals. I know
0: 10 goals conceded. Yeah, 10 goals conceded. All right, we, so we to my point. See. To my point, we'd be happy if we concede less. Than, yeah,
2: less and there's than three
0: time. points in there. <laughs> sure. Oh, sure, sure. Take the three um, points all day long. Any any points that we get, because I think we'll get zero points from those three games. I think any point right. would be massive for us
1: i agree i would i would ship 20 goals if it means that we somehow win one of those
0: games yeah. 10-0 10-0 <laughs> and to Two caps caps 10-0, 10-0, 1-0 to do 1-0 vic <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man oh man the john stuff. Joe always screamer is that one goal oh no <laughs> i'll take uh, it oh man
1: um all right cool well those are my five questions closing out 10 and 90. And so we are on to the second and final clue of Adam's EPL trivia question. Noah, this is one of his best questions recently. Um, he's given one clue before. He'll give his final clue now. Adam, what is it?
0: Yeah, for for you know, and a reminder for our listeners, my trivia question for the week, this is um, one I'm especially proud of. Who is the only player to have scored a hat trick in the Premier League, all three divisions of the English Football League, the League Cup, the FA Cup, and for his international country. The first clue we gave midway through the pod was this player also represented three different MLS teams during his playing career. None of which did he score a hat-trick for though. Those were Toronto FC, Chicago Fire, and the Vancouver Whitecaps. And your final clue is this player represented Wales at an international level during his career. And the three teams he played for the most at club level were Cardiff, Nottingham Forest, and Norwich. Wow. So many, so many
1: pieces of this <laughs> of this question. Before,
2: the, before those hints, I thought there was a chance it could have been Kevin Phillips, the former Golden Boot winner. I
0: think when he was at Crystal Palace. No, it's Sunderland. He won a Premier League Golden Boot. He is a Mackham, yeah. Oof, no. Not, um, not Kevin, not wow. Kevin Phillips. Can,
1: can you? Can I, you? I have a feeling. It, it. Can you tell me like the general time period that this player played?
0: I can tell you that he retired in two thousand fifteen. What that reason? I thought he was going to be like an eighties player. He's forty. Um, he's forty years old currently.
1: Cardiff, who was it? It was Cardiff, Nottingham Forest, and
0: Norwich. Correct. He also played for West. Brom had quite a few appearances for West Brom.
2: I'm gonna give my my guess. I think it. it's Nicky Maynard. Is incorrect. No idea.
1: I've never heard that name before in my entire life. <laughs> that
2: was a player for a while. I think he was at Cardiff for a little
1: bit. Adam, I am I am really mystified by how little I have an idea of who this could be. A Welshman.
2: Oh, I forgot Wales. Ah oh,
0: man. He... I will. I will tell you that he was born in Zambia and moved to Wales at a very early age. He's made over 170 appearances for Cardiff, and those were to start his career. He came through the Cardiff youth team.
1: Did it? No, he played more recently than that, right?
2: I feel like I've been a long fan of Singler. I feel like I should know a little bit more about Welsh players
1: i for some reason i was thinking robson kanu but i don't think that's the right answer because he retired because he 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 had the uh, the coif turn s- heard around the world in 2016 so i uh, couldn't yep. have been him and it
2: couldn't couldn't have been strike partners yeah.
0: Vokes either <laughs> it was it was not but kudos for all these watch players you're naming um it was not no robson, idea it was robson it was not robson kanu but his first name is robert
2: Robert Earnshaw.
0: Correct. Well done, sir. He yes. so played on Derby County for a <laughs> while, right? He did, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He played for a multitude of teams. Very much a journeyman striker. What in the Which world just
2: happened? I, I, I feel like not a Robert I, like, I feel like
1: I just got, I just like turned a corner while walking downtown. I got punched in the
2: face. I have no <laughs> idea what just happened. I'm going sleep so well thinking that I now remember Robert Earnshaw. I've never heard the of the him The skinny striker that he was. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he was he he was a very good player back in his day for Wales. But you haven't heard of
1: Robert Earnshaw? Is that? I'm not I'm not, unfortunately not.
0: Scored a Premier League hat trick, my friend.
1: You should have. I now know that. That is a remarkable fact. That's inc- I wonder if you went around Wales to every pub and asked people that, how many people would get that correct?
0: If you didn't give them the context of he played for Wales or Cardiff, I think they'd yes. struggle with it. Um, But I think with with that context, most Welsh supporters would probably come up with it. Yeah, that's fair enough.
2: Cardiff City, one of Bristol City's rivals. Oh, that is true. That
0: is true. Bristol is right on the border, right?
2: It's a grudge match. Bristol's right on the border, yeah. They have the severance derby with Swansea City, but that's not a super contentious game all the
0: time. Yeah, the Bluebirds and the Swans. Let's go, Wales. Not having a great season this year, by the way, Cardiff. Kiefer Moore is a legend, though. Kiefer Moore for Ballon d'Or, as we always say in Wales.
2: Kiefer Moore, isn't he like Welsh by like a grandfather? He's from like Torquay or something.
0: He's not even Welsh. He's English. But yeah, I mean he's no. he's a legend now for us, though. I mean that that kinda happens for a lot. Jorginho is yeah. uh, Brazilian playing for the Italian national team. He's so. an
2: absolute handful in the championship. He is He's a good player. Kiefer Moore? And another former Bristol City player that we let go that I'm baffled plays so much for Wales is Joe Morrill. Every time I turn on to watch Wales and see, see Joe Morrill in the middle of the park, I'm stunned. Uh,
0: he's. I think he's always put in a good shift for us. He's he's not the most talented player in the world, but he wears his heart on his sleeves and he puts in a good yeah. shift every time he plays. He's he's just one of those players. He's kind of like Joe Allen, right? Never going to be a world beater, but yeah. um, on his day, we'll always give you 110%. That's
2: fair.
1: Where, do you still have the the Joe Allen jersey that I gave you years ago, Adam? You never gave me the Joe Allen jersey, my friend. I think I did give you the Joe Allen jersey. I would friend. have
2: wanted personally uh-huh. Wales Johnny Williams jersey.
1: Uh, okay. I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys talk about the history and future of Welsh football on <laughs> on the time that we're not recording this to make it to make a podcast that goes <laughs> live for people to listen to. <laughs> it's
0: good stuff. though. Had a lot of fun.
1: Uh, a lot of fun. It has been. Great team. Yeah.
0: Thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh no, it's been really fun kind of chatting with you and getting to talk about championship football. So um Robbie Urnshaw, there you go. Zach will get yeah. you a shirt with Earnshaw er on the back with Ernie. A, gr-
1: a great, a great fact, a great thing to know. That'd be very sweet of Zach.
0: <laughs> all
1: right. Well, this was this was a nice lengthy episode, but a good one at that. I hope everybody who has listened to it has listened all the way through. Who knows? We don't have the statistical ability to know if that will happen. But you know what? It's been a fun time. And until next
0: time, Adam. Footy. Footy. Peace.